And so I want to address the issue from this perspective. What I wish somebody would have said to me, what I'm glad people are saying to me, and what I hope somebody will still say to me when I am uh, in the, the later years of my ministry. I want to come at it from that perspective and hopefully just be an encouragement to you men. Especially, I did prepare this with pastors in mind. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for the time that we've already spent together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to simply finish the day well and to honor you. Lord, help every one of us to fulfill our ministry. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I've been given the title or the topic, Nurturing a Missionary Culture in the Local Church. Nurturing a Missionary Culture in the local church. To nurture something is simply to provide it what it needs to live, what it needs to continue its life, its growth. And so we should all be, I think, laboring to nurture a missionary culture. And in a missionary culture, missionaries are not, as we've already heard, they're not just pictures on the back wall somewhere. They're not just names written on the checks that we write each quarter. The missions is not just a a ministry that is uh, relegated to two offerings that we take up twice a year. But in a missionary culture, I believe it's normal, it should be normal for international missionaries, and I'm using Michael's definition as well, that, that focused definition of the word missionary. It should be normal for international missionaries to exist within or share a personal relationship with our congregation. And we should expect international missionaries will rise up from the congregation itself. That's a missionary culture. And we're dealing with that, trying to nurture that within the local church, our congregations. And so we're, we're dealing with what this looks like inside the weekend and week out life of your congregation, your church. So I think we should be aiming at a local church atmosphere where it is the normal expectation of every member, the pastors and the laymen alike, that amongst the membership, when you gather on the Lord's Day and you look around and you see the heads in the seats, it is expected that God is raising up from this group of people international missionaries. When we have a missionary culture, the question is not, are there any missionaries? The question is, who's the missionary? Who is it going to be? That's a missionary culture. And I hope, it's amazing how all of this has come together. I felt like these guys were just preaching my my sermon here. But hopefully, you've gleaned from what has already been said and from your own study of the Word of God that when I describe that church, that missionary culture church... I'm not describing anything other than a biblical church. This is just biblical church 101. The reason that we have to discuss 
nurturing this kind of a church is not because the three of us have discovered something new. We've, we've found a new scheme, the, the new thing on the, the, the horizon that's going to really reach the nations. That's not what we're saying. This is just biblical church. And the reason that we've, we have to address this and we have to think about nurturing it is because we, laymen and pastors alike, are so uh, quick to drift from what the Bible says, what, what is the biblical paradigm for the local church. Now this is where we need to camp out for a second before we go any further, because when I describe what I'm calling a missionary culture, as pastors we have to ask, and as laymen we can even ask ourselves, does that describe my congregation? Is that on the minds of my people? Do they think this way? Only you can take the, 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 the temperature of your church. Now, as, as pastors, we tend to swing to extremes. On one extreme, my church is the best church that there is on the world, in, in the world. And we have nowhere else to grow. And I think we should delight in our congregations. But sometimes we tend to think we don't have anywhere else to go. The other extreme is, well, I've been given the worst congregation on the planet. And there, we, we'll never go anywhere. That's not soberly thinking about your congregation. So that might be the first step in this whole process in being sober-minded as a pastor is just take a day, take a week, take several months and just soberly evaluate where is my congregation in this whole scheme. And then from there, begin to nurture. You don't nurture something back to life. You nurture it back to health. If something's dead, you don't nurture it, you bury it, or you revive it. So when you're nurturing something, you have to first find a spark of life. You're looking for something, and then you begin to give it what is needed for growth. If you find an infant, don't start shoving a stake down its throat. Give it milk and, and nurture it from where your church is. And that's why that's a blessed point to me because our church is younger than these other churches. Our church is smaller than these other churches. And we're just coming into this whole thing. And so I have to evaluate where are we? What, what, what do I need to do at this point right now to begin to nurture a missionary culture? So the question when we are considering... Nurturing a missionary culture, the question is, if missionary culture is just biblical church culture, the question is, how can I and how can you as a pastor provide what is needed for the growth and the maturity of your church? That's the question. Now, I think that the answer is as simple as being a biblical pastor. It's not simplistic. It's not easy. I don't think any of us would say that we have an easy task. But that's what it is. If, if a missionary culture church is just a biblical church, and your job as pastor is to nurture and to, to foster this, then it's just doing your job as a biblical pastor, doing your job as a shepherd. As Paul would say to Timothy, it is simply fulfilling your ministry. This is not added to or distinct from your normal work. This is your job. Nurturing a missionary culture. This is not new. This is just what the Bible teaches. And again, even as shepherds, we're so quick to drift from the central tasks given to us as shepherds or under shepherds in Christ's church. The central 
task. And hopefully as I even begin to throw out that language like central task and primary duty, you as pastors, you are already thinking. You know what the answer is. You know what you have been called to do. What does that include? What are those normal pastoral tributaries in your duties that trickle down into rivers and then lead into and fill the ocean of international mission work? Not every duty that you have as a pastor, not everything that you do will, is directly focused into international missions. If you're walking through the sanctuary and you bend over and you pick up a chewing gum wrapper on Sunday morning, that's probably not going to funnel into international missions. So, so the question is, what are the primary duties, the specific tasks given to a shepherd that he can execute to nurture a missionary culture church, also known as a biblical church? I think there are primarily four. Number one, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That is, preach the gospel. Hopefully as I begin to describe your primary duties as a shepherd, you are already thinking, well, I'm pretty sure my primary job is to preach the word. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying preach the word with a focus on the gospel. In, in current evangelical culture, and even if we want to call it reformed culture, there is a clear and obvious lack of the gospel. Not the phrase the gospel. We love to say the gospel. We like to say things like Christ-centered or gospel-centered. I'm not talking about just talking about the gospel. I'm saying our job is to preach, clearly articulate the truths of the gospel. It's already been said. We, we tend to want to reduce everything down to 1 Corinthians 15. Christ came. He died. He was buried. He was raised again according to the scriptures. And, and as long as we can get someone to, to believe in their mind, mental assent to those facts, we preach the gospel. But that's not what Paul is doing there. It is our job as shepherds to clearly articulate the biblical gospel. Don't assume that your congregation understands... The ins and outs of the gospel. Preach the gospel from its beginning all the way to its end. Preach it in its fullness. Expect responses. Preach in such a way that you expect people are either going to be hardened or they are going to be given life. But I'm expecting the power of God to fall when I'm preaching this gospel. And also address internal and external applications as you're preaching the gospel. This should change you in your seat, but should also change you as you drive out of the parking lot, and as you go to wherever you're going to go. The gospel comes, and it changes people. Preach the gospel, the whole gospel. Clearly articulate the gospel. Start at the beginning. Paul says he refers to this gospel as the gospel of God. And we are so quick to want to offer people Christ... Because he's, he's worthy to be offered. We want to offer people Christ and they don't have a clue why they need Christ. You don't start with Christ. You start with God. Look at God. Look at his, his unwavering, terrifying holiness and justice. And point them. Get them in the presence of God until they ask you, what must I do to be saved? Preach the gospel from its beginning. Starting with God. God says, I will by no means clear the guilty. 
Go to the average congregant and show them that text and say, God said he will by no means clear the guilty. Then how can you be a Christian? Well, the response would be, well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, well, how can God be both just and the justifier of the ungodly? The Bible says he who justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous are both an abomination before God. How can God be just and yet justify the ungodly? How can that be? You see, when, if we can't articulate the answers to those questions, it's because we're not thinking through all of the implications of the full biblical gospel from beginning to end. And we have to start with God and then proclaim to them Christ. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Just take that as your outline and preach it. Remember Jesus. Jesus. They will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This man Jesus, he has a people. But they have sins that are laid upon him. And he's going to come and he's going to rescue them. He's going to save them from their sins. How is he going to save them? Well, don't just remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king of his people, the mediator, the one who's going to come and reveal to his people God, the one who is going to escort his people into the presence of God by his own blood. And then he's going to exercise dominion over them as their king. He's going to be exalted into the heavens, and that's what this says. Risen from the dead, Paul assumes the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then he says the offspring of David. The king promised to take David's throne. He's ascended into the heavens and he has taken that spot. This is who we're preaching, the offspring of David. You see, there's a reason why the gospel is referred to in the, in the gospels as the gospel of the kingdom. Because it's the good news that Christ has come to conquer and to reign. He has risen. He is presently reigning. And as we've already heard, the gospel will go forth uninhibited to the nations. It will. If you are a part of a biblical church, you are a member of an unstoppable force on this planet. And so we should always be optimistic as we preach this gospel and proclaim and tell people Christ asked for the nations. The Father is going to give him the nations. So then go. He's, he's already got them. Go get them. That's the gospel. You start from the beginning and don't just stop and at, at Jesus died for our sins. That's a blessed truth. But don't stop there. Preach it in all of its fullness. And as you're preaching it, name people groups. Name places. Tell people. Get your passports ready. Pack your bags and prepare. Because the gospel is going forth to the nations. And when you preach this gospel in all of its fullness, from beginning to end regularly, people will not only see personal application but they will immediately begin to make the connection to the nations. They're going to see that this, this is not just me. It's not just here. There's a broader scope to everything that God is doing. So that's the first thing that we should do. And this is, this, this is like a sandwich. So the first one and the last one I think are the most important. And what's in between is secondarily important. But that's the first thing. Preach the gospel. Secondly... 
hold a high bar for Christian men. A high bar for Christian men. If we see sending men to plant biblical churches to the nations as our goal, we have to understand that it doesn't start there. When we come to things like this, or for me, when I come to things like this, I want to go to church Sunday and pick out who I'm going to blindfold and tie up and ship them across the nations. Ship them somewhere. But it doesn't start there. We have to start from the beginning. We have to start at the ground level in our congregations, build healthy churches that can then pump the gospel to the nations. And In my church, I use the, the analogy of a heart. Your heart has to be healthy to pump the blood to the extremities of your body. If you don't have a healthy heart, you're not going to have blood sent. And so we have to build and work on healthy churches that can then pump gospel blood to the nations. So we start at the ground level. Assuming that we agree that we should have regenerate church membership, then the, the ground level here would be holding the regenerate men in your membership to biblical standards of Christian manhood. You can't plant a church properly without the gospel and without qualified leadership. You're not going to have biblical elders and leadership if you don't have biblical men. And you're not going to have biblical men as long as you continue to let Super Bowl Sunday night culture tell your men what, what a man is. You have to have a high bar. Most churches have let the culture tell them what a man is supposed to be. In their work ethic, there's either no work ethic or, in the South, work ethic is the all-encompassing thing that defines me as a man. Well, that's not biblical. Neither one of those are biblical. Churchmanship, it's gone for most men. Church is just an extracurricular activity that a man is, is drug into with his wife and his kids. Family worship, daily family worship. Sitting down, opening your Bible, teaching your family from the Scriptures, singing with your family, and then leading them in prayer is absent in most homes. Biblical literacy is gone. It's been assigned to the professionals. That's what the culture says it's, is acceptable for even Christian men. So we've got to fix that. We must allow the Word of God to dictate what is expected of our men, young men and old men. When Paul says, act like men, or quit ye like men, his readers did not say, you know, I think he's talking about zebras. Maybe when he says, act like men, maybe he means act like women. They knew what he meant because there was a character of a man that they received when he said that. It has to mean something to act like a man. Titus 2.2, older men are to be. Titus 2.6, likewise urge the younger men to be. If you have males in your congregation, the Word of God lays an ought at their feet. They ought to be something. And it's our job as shepherds to raise that bar, address them in conversations, in sermons. Sometimes I think it's great in a sermon to say, ladies, take a break for a second. I'm going to talk to the men. And you lean over and you lower your brow at them and you address them as a man to men. Men, we've got to have a talk. There's a problem here. And, and maybe speak a little more sternly to the men. And tell them if, if they can't handle it, then we'll, we can talk after the, the, the service. But address the men. Explain your intentions. There's a problem here, men. We've got to fix the problem with our men 
Initiate specific endeavors for their benefit, like reading through books together. Be proactive. Be confrontational. All that stuff that we hate. You've got to do it. That's a part of fulfilling your ministry. Now, when I say fix the problem, that doesn't mean that you are going to be able to personally correct every issue. It's not going to happen. The point, the goal is that we raise the bar, understanding the reality that some will never reach the bar. Some of them are unregenerate. They're never going to even strive to reach the bar. But don't lower the bar. Don't grade on a curve. Let the Bible set the standard. Raise that bar for biblical manhood. And then thirdly, invest in faithful men. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see, there are multiple layers in that command from Paul to Timothy. The, the idea is that as you raise the bar for all men, the desire, the hope, and the plan is that you will discover some faithful men who will rise to that bar. And then you zero in on them. And you find them and you explain the goal. Here's the goal, guys. I know you weren't planning on it, but here's what I want to do. I want to pull you aside, and I'm hoping that some of you will be elders someday. And they're going to say... I don't know that that's me. Well, we're not worried about that right now. We're just going to zero in and we're going to start focusing in on some things. And what this does is it really weeds out a lot as you move along this process. And this has already been touched on, and I, I believe it wholeheartedly. We don't send men abroad who we would not have shepherds over us. If, if, if I can't look at a man in my congregation and say, I wish he were my pastor... And I'm not going to send him some, to be somebody else's pastor. So raise up faithful men and send first string to the mission field. Send the best. And that will never happen if we continue to let the culture tell us what a man is. And let that seep into our churches. And let them begin to breathe in that, that poison. Start from the ground level. Work towards eldership in your church where the gospel has come in power and produced in everyone the expectation that somebody's going somewhere. And then lastly, number four, the other, the other bun on this sandwich is pray. We preach the gospel. We hold the bar high for men. We focus in on faithful men. And then we pray. We plant and we water. We nurture. And then we have to understand that God is the one who gives the growth. God has to produce the seed-bearing fruit that will send the gospel to the nations. We, I can't force a man to go somewhere. If I can force a man to go, he shouldn't be going. That's not a good enough reason to go. You cannot convict a man of his need to go. All we can do is plant and water, that is, nurture, and then pray. Paul proves this out. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. They had seen the gospel come in power. They had seen its effects, and Paul urges them. He doesn't say, you guys should consider yourselves really lucky. Take a break. You got in, and I'll handle it from here. He doesn't say that. He says, don't you dare hold on to that. You pray, and you pray, and you pray that what happened there will happen 
there, that it would continue to expand. So look at your congregation. Have you been able to see the Word of God work? Can you testify to His faithfulness? Do you have a biblical church? Has God worked in your church to an extent that you would say, I think it would be great if God would do this at another church across the ocean? Then you pray. And you pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. And when, I, when I'm, I'm being specific here, and I'm talking about, for the pastor, personal, private prayer on behalf of the congregation. And here we could bring in a whole litany, a category of specific prayers about these men that you're training, their responsibilities, the purity of their hearts, the clarity of their minds, their boldness, their growth, their sensitivity to what God might be doing. You see something, but they don't see it yet, and so you're pouring out your heart to God. God, show that man what that he does have, what I keep telling him he has. Pray for wisdom for yourself that as you walk amongst the congregation that you are sensitive to people, that you're wise in what they are gifted, you're wise to their needs, that you would think clearly and soberly about who you have, where they are in the process. I tend to, I'm trying to tend to scoot men a little too quickly, get behind them and push them a little too quickly. I learned that from Mala. Assign them tasks early. And let them, let them weed themselves out in the church, in the midst of the congregation. Because you don't want them weeding themselves out in Turkey. Do it in the church. Pray. Lead your church in praying this way. As the shepherd, lead the church in praying with regard to international mission work. As they hear you pray in the worship service, let them hear you articulate your desire to participate in international missions. Let them hear in your prayers that you are fully aware that there are people who have never heard the name of Christ. Let them hear you pray for the work of God among the nations. Let them hear you say that. And as you say it, you're teaching them. You're Encouraging them and you're instructing them and you are nurturing a culture in that. I'll close with this illustration from our own church. So we, I don't even know when it was, talked to Jason a while back about their connections to Malawi. Met Mala not long after that. Talked about what God was doing in Malawi. He's a pastor there. In, in my weekly work, I, I'm in the home of a congre- or a family of the congregation every week. So I go to visit a family this week, and then I'll go to visit family next week. And in those circular visits, I read to them 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. I read that and I said, let's begin to pray. I didn't, I didn't do it publicly. Individually, house to house, let's begin to pray. Because we've seen growth. We've seen the Lord work. We've seen things that we would have never imagined. So let's start to pray that it wouldn't stop here, but that it would speed ahead. And so we began to pray. Every family by themselves. I had not mentioned it corporately at all. Because my view was that if I could get this church unified as a body in prayer, that God would answer that unified prayer and lead us into unified endeavors so that we don't have 50% of the people over here saying, well, I don't want to go to Malawi, and 50% of the people over here saying, well, I think we should. Uh, We want unity in this. So I began to just encourage them just to pray about these things. And so we began to pray. 
And not long after I had visited every family in our church, then I brought it corporately. And I led the corporate prayer in that regard. And it wasn't long. I don't have the dates, but it wasn't long. It might have been around the exact same time that I was leading that prayer. I was given the opportunity to go to Malawi. would have never imagined that I would go, but I was given the opportunity to go. But I couldn't go because my wife was pregnant and she was going to have a baby around the time I was supposed to go. God in His providence gave us, gave me the opportunity to go. And I won't go into a lot of details. We didn't have that baby. I got the opportunity to go to Malawi. I was freed up for that. And now I have faces to pray for, names to pray for, specific things to begin to work towards. I have the next step in the nurturing process. And I believe it's a direct answer to prayer. I preach. I explain. The gospel must go forth. I begin to nurture and build with men. And then we just pray. And we keep that cycle constantly moving until God gives the opportunities. Fulfill your ministry as a biblical shepherd. Nurturing a biblical church. And trust God to give the growth as He sees fit. There's nothing new about any of that at all. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that you would allow any of us to take part in this mission. What a privilege. What an honor it is. Lord, we know that you don't need any of us. We know that the glory is, is funneled ever in your presence because you're you're building a kingdom with people like us and with men like me who are uneducated and, and slow and, and stubborn and sinful and weak. Lord, all of the glory, all of the honor is yours. We look forward to that day when we will gather and we will see all of the faces that we uh, are connected to by your blood and your spirit who have been reached through the, the international mission efforts of our local churches. Lord, build your kingdom. We long to see Mount Zion cover the earth. Lord Jesus, have the nations and use us to take them for your glory. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.